In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Christ is in our midst. He is On this, the fourth Sunday of Lent, the Church always commemorates our venerable and God-bearing Father John Climacus. He is the author of the book, The Ladder of Divine Ascent. He was the abbot of St. Catherine Monastery in Sinai. That's the monastery that cares for the burning bush. And, um, and the book, The Ladder of Divine Ascent, I have a copy here in my hand. This book is read throughout the Orthodox world and monasteries during Lent. They read it during their meals, and they'll read the entire book throughout the course of Lent. And they do this every single year. It is universally accepted as a wonderful spiritual treatise uh, in which uh, St. John had a vision of a ladder ascending to heaven. And that vision is depicted here in this icon. I sometimes call this Scary Icon Sunday. Right? And I always thought that if we had an Orthodox theme park, the scariest ride would be the Ladder of Divine Ascent. Right? Because you have a ladder ascending to heaven, and you have demons trying to shake those on the ladder off into the fiery pit of hell. Right? But then you also have an assembly of monks there, right? A community of believers encouraging each other to get up the ladder. And at the top of the ladder, of course, Christ is there to receive them. So St. John saw a vision of 30 steps to heaven. And, um, and in our spiritual life, um, this might seem daunting. Uh, and we often feel like we might take two steps forward and four steps backwards. But, nevertheless, St. John encourages everybody to keep striving. Even if you ascend one step, you're still higher than you were before, so to speak. Still closer to the kingdom of heaven. And so... Um, a few years ago, three years ago, I was challenged by somebody to preach on the different steps of the ladder. And so I embarked on this project that every year on this Sunday, I'll preach on a different step. And one year I preached on two steps because they were kind of short. So step one is renunciation of the world. Step two is detachment from material things. Step three is exile. When you get persecuted and exiled from your worldly group of friends because you're pursuing the kingdom of heaven. Last year I preached on step four, obedience, which is the longest chapter in the book. And so I continue this project, and I will keep preaching this in this church as long as God and the bishop have me here. And this year, step five is on repentance. This is one of the most difficult chapters in the book for lay people to read and to understand because the example of repentance is quite severe and extreme. This chapter is also known in some circles as the chapter on the prison. And what it is, is there's a, um, at this monastery that St. John was visiting, they had this sort of like cell kind of away from the main monastery where um, people would go, monastics would get a blessing to go, and they would undergo severe and extreme forms of asceticism. Okay, and I'm, I have selected 
uh, many passages from this chapter that I'm going to read to you. So I feel like I've curated this for you so you can understand. But, but some of the examples of these severe forms of asceticism include drinking just barely enough water to stay alive, but always feeling thirsty. Um, some of them asked the abbot to put them in shackles until their dying day. Um, some of them would, would flog themselves. Some of them would stand all night in prayer and not move. Okay? And we might not understand these severe forms of asceticism, but it's actually not very different than some other saints that we know of. St. Seraphim of Sarab praying for a thousand nights on a rock. St. Herman of Alaska, our patron saint, wearing very heavy chains under his robes all his life, unbeknownst to anybody, to, to make his life more difficult and to increase the intensity of his prayer. So I'm going to read some of these passages and you'll get, um, you'll get a, an idea of what this is like. But this chapter is about repentance. Repentance. So St. John says repentance is the renewal of baptism and is a contract with God for a fresh start in life. Repentance goes shopping for humility. Oh, we're Americans. We like shopping. Repentance goes shopping for humility and is ever distrustful of bodily comfort. Repentance is critical awareness and a sure watch over oneself. Repentance is the daughter of hope and the refusal to despair. Repentance is reconciliation with the Lord by the performance of good deeds which are the opposites of the sins. It is the purification of conscience and the voluntary endurance of affliction. The penitent deals out his own punishment, for repentance is the fierce persecution of the stomach and the flogging of the soul into intense awareness. I, the weakling, John, heard that there was a great and strange way of life and lowliness for those living in a separate monastery called the prison. It was under the authority of the abbot, the light of lights. I saw things done and said that could only draw down the mercy of God, deeds and attitudes of body that quickly win his love for men. I saw some of those accused, yet innocent men, stand all night until dawn in the open air, their feet never moving, pitifully pounded by the natural urge to sleep, giving them, themselves no rest, reproaching themselves, driving sleep away with abuse and insults. Others raised their eyes to heaven, wept, cried, and implored help from there. Others sat in sackcloth and ashes on the ground, hiding their faces between their knees, striking the earth with their foreheads. They would say things like, We know, we know that we deserve every punishment and torment. Rightly so. We dare not ask for complete forgiveness. How could we when we have failed to keep our vow unstained? But after all... God's past loving kindness and forgiveness. After all of God's past loving kindness and forgiveness, we have defiled our vow. The only words you could hear from them were these. Woe, woe, alas, alas, it is just. It is just. Spare us. Spare us, O Lord. Some said, be merciful, be merciful. And others, more sadly, forgive us, O Lord. Forgive us if it is possible. Would you witness any laughter among them? Idle talk? Irritation? Anger? No. 
No, indeed. They no longer knew what it was for a man to be angry, for grief had done away with their capacity for rage. So they were so ascetic, they spent so much time repenting that they, they couldn't even be angry anymore. With failing confidence, they would often speak to one another as follows, Brothers, are we getting anywhere? Will we be granted what we asked? And they would say, we must run, brothers, we must run. We have to run very hard because we have fallen behind our holy company. So let us run, driving on this foul and wicked flesh of ours, killing it as it has killed us. I came close, this is John speaking, I came close to despair when I had seen and heard all this among them, and when I had compared my own indifference with what they went through. A soul that has lost its one-time confidence and abandoned its hope of dispassion, that has broken the seal of chastity, that has squandered the treasury of divine graces like the prodigal son, will not only take on the labors mentioned above with all eagerness, but will even decide devoutly to kill itself with penitential works. I saw them and I was amazed. It seems to me that those who have fallen and are penitent are more blessed than those who have never fallen and who do not have to mourn over themselves because through having fallen they have pulled themselves up by a sure resurrection. That should remind us of the publican and the Pharisee, right? Now I know well, my friends, that these labors I have described will seem unbelievable to some, unattainable to others, and be a source of despair to others still. St. John is now talking to us. Yet they will actually be an incentive to a brave soul, a fiery blast, so that he will go away with zeal in his heart, whereas the man who feels a great incapacity in himself will understand his own weakness, be humbled easily by the reproach he levels against himself, and will at least try to follow the soul who is brave. And I am not at all sure, but that he may even overtake him. But the careless man had better stay away from my stories. For otherwise he may fall into despair, throw away the little he has achieved, and prove to be like the man of whom it was said, even that which he seems to have will be taken away. It is impossible for those of us who have fallen into the sink of iniquity ever to be drawn out of it unless we also plumb the depths of humility shown by the penitent. But above all, we must fight off the demon of dejection wherever we happen to slip. For he comes right beside us when we are praying and reminds us of our former good standing with God and tries to divert us from our prayer. Listen to this. Do not be surprised if you fall every day. Do not be surprised if you fall every day. And do not surrender. Stand your ground bravely. Right? And in war movies, you hear them say, hold fast, right? Hold the line, boys. Hold fast. Don't surrender. That's what St. John is saying. Stand your ground bravely. And may you be sure that your guardian angel will respect your endurance. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there the chains of sin are let loose. Where there is real humility, all bonds are made free. But those without the one or the other should not be deceived. They are in bondage. 
Those living in the world and they alone are without these two assurances, especially the first, unless, so he's saying those in the world are without the Spirit of the Lord, unless through almsgiving some so run their race that they know at the moment of death how much they have gained. We ought to be on guard in case our conscience has stopped troubling us. Not so much because of its being clear, but because of its being immersed in sin. As soon as you think you're good to go, you should be very concerned. Not because your conscience is clear, but because you are so immersed in sin, you don't even know how deep you are. He says, a proof of our having been delivered from our failings is the unceasing acknowledgement of our indebtedness. Nothing equals the mercy of God or surpasses it. To despair is therefore to inflict death on oneself. A sign of true repentance is the admission that all our troubles and more besides, whether visible or not, were richly deserved. A true sign of repentance is the admission that all our troubles were richly deserved. St. John finishes with this. In my meditation, or more accurately, in my acts of repentance, a fire of prayer will burn and will consume everything material. Let the holy prisoners described above be a rule for you, a pattern, a model, a true picture of repentance, so that for as long as you live, you will have no need of a treatise, until at last Christ, the divine Son of God, will enlighten you in the resurrection of true repentance. Amen. Repentance, true and deep repentance, is a willingness to go to any height or depth or extreme to acquire the humility needed for the Holy Spirit to dwell in you. And without true repentance, we won't reach the kingdom of heaven. You know, there's that saying, you can't have your cake and eat it too, which I don't understand because I enjoy cake all the time. But like, when it comes to sin... We can't say, I'm sorry that I'm doing this sin, and, but I still want to keep doing it. Repentance means a desire to put the sin away. It doesn't mean that you're never going to sin again. It's about your intention and your effort. Right? It's about your intention and your effort. And God is merciful to forgive when there's true repentance. The forgiveness is given. We don't have to earn it. But the repentance will keep us from sin and draw us to a love of God. St. John's chapter here on repentance is a very difficult pill for us to swallow. Because our whole life revolves around comfort and pleasure and self-love. But true repentance is about going beyond self-love to self-emptying love. I think, I've said this once or twice during Lent, right? Brothers and sisters, the goal of the Christian life is union and communion with Christ, to draw near to God and dwell in union with Him. And we cannot do that. We cannot do that 
if we are bound by the desires and pleasures of the flesh and we are unwilling to cut ties with them. True repentance is a turning away from sin and a turning towards God so that we can draw near to Him with open arms without all sorts of ugly, awful baggage. And the church, the, the, the calendar of saints is replete with examples of those who have understood this and lived the life. And next week we'll hear about St. Mary of Egypt. She is a quintessential example of this repentance that St. John is talking about. We'll talk more about her next week. But we really need to strongly reflect on what we are willing to do and what we are willing to give up. If we aren't willing to crucify the passions and the sins that hold us back, then we're going to find ourselves enduring involuntary punishments in the life to come. But what St. John suggests in this chapter is that it's better to offer voluntary punishments and sufferings to God and say, I'm aware of my sinfulness and I'm trying to put it behind me so that in the life to come, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. By the prayers of our Holy Father John Climacus of Sinai, O Lord Jesus Christ our God, have mercy on us and save us. Amen. Christ is in our midst.